about the culture of, our, uh, of what I believe that God called us to be when we started here at Kingsway, and that was to be, to be a church that would love God passionately, that would love people and would love life. Uh, we have it on our sign. We have it on our bulletins. Uh, but more important is that we have it in our hearts. You, have, you see that in, uh, in the people of this place. Uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, we just talked about loving God with everything, that that was a command of His, that we'd love Him with our whole mind, soul, body, and strength, and that that would be an act of worship to Him this morning as you worship God with your body, with clapping, with raising your hands, with your mind set on Him. Um, that, that's an act of worship. As you study his word and just open to him, uh, that's an act of worship to, to him. Uh, and it's part of that relationship, just to hear from him this morning. And that's why I really want to encourage you just to, just to kind of listen, God, what are you saying to my heart this morning? Not, not necessarily what Mark is saying, but what is Holy Spirit saying to you? Um, last week, we talked just about how uh, the, the word, um, it, it's amazing. Sometimes we forget to be amazed by what's amazing uh, and that this book that uh, we have freely in our country it really is the, the words of God. It's not just kind of a book. There's something more powerful about that. And we looked at that last, uh, last week. If you didn't have a chance to be here, I'd really encourage you to listen to the podcast of that one because it is something I believe we need for our lives that we never forget that this is alive and powerful and working in our lives, but it's only working if we're working with it. If we take it and get it in here, it's the only time that it works. And that's what we want to do this morning, just to be open to that, that, that the God of the universe would speak to us that he could speak different things to each of you this morning, could speak through you. I, I believe that this morning. I believe it's already happened uh, in this place. And I just want to uh, encourage that in you. Um, I want to talk about something uh, uh, this morning that uh, uh, is, is just a part of our culture, and that's loving people. You know, as we continue to grow, even like with our Saturday nights, are continuing to grow, and you start realizing that as you grow, new, newer faces kind of arrive, and you see different people. But there's something that we started as a church way back in the day that we just believed that loving God and loving people were two even commands. They were on the same uh, thing that Jesus said to us. You, you want to keep the commands? These are the two. Love God with all your heart and love people as yourself. And that those two are so tied to each other that in loving God, you will love people. And as, uh, as you love people, you are showing your love to God. And, and so uh, this week um, I was camping with my family and we were camping at the DeVries farm because they have flush toilets and, uh, you know, a kitchen right there and, and, and air conditioning. So it was pretty, it was pretty great. Um, and uh, we were, as we were camping there, my, um, my father-in-law lost his wallet. And uh, it wasn't that he lost it. Um, his wife had picked it up off the couch and put it somewhere and she had totally forgotten where it was. Well, with the five families stuff there, it wasn't easy to find. So he began looking for it and then she was looking for it and then it's like, well, let's get everybody looking for it. So everybody's looking for this wallet and, you know, after a while, you're like, nah, I didn't see it, you know, in the first three places I looked, you know, back to the pool. And um, then all of a sudden it's like, we got to find this wallet. Well, we, we wait long enough, pretty soon there's going to be money, right? There's going to be rewards. So all of a sudden the, the the rewards start coming out. If we find the wallet, it's $25. And those little Dutch grandkids, I mean, they're like, in right now. They're looking everywhere now to try and find it. But, you know, after checking the same three places and not finding it, they just kind of head back to the pool. And, and my, I saw my father-in-law, he, you know, try and have a nap. And all I could think about was, where's that wallet? Where's that? I knew I took a nap right here. And I put that wallet right here. And, and Liz was just saying, just wait, you know, just wait till they all go away. And uh, when they all go home, I'm sure we'll find it then. She's like, no, like, what if it, what if it, she's like, I know I put it somewhere. It's like, well, what if she put it on top of the truck, you know, and I drove down the road, and he's scanning the laneway looking for, looking for this wallet and can't find it. Sure enough, the day we leave, Liz finds it five feet away from where it was, uh, on the couch, put it on the mantle behind some flowers, so, you know, I don't know why, but so, we, so I'd have a sermon illustration, that's why. So, but she, um, 
she finds it there, collected her $25, and, uh, you know, there's a smile on her face. So, but, but when, I, when I thought about that, I realized, you know, even, even when we're camping there, there was moments where, you know, when something's lost, everybody focuses on what's lost. It's, that's where all the focus is. There's all kinds of incredible stuff going on around. We've got to find what was lost. It happens with uh, other things that are valuable. You ever lose anything valuable? What do you do after you freak out? You start looking for it. Uh, my son Maddox, he wanders off all the time. So we're out there, and there'd be moments, you know, during the day, I was like, where's Maddox? Everybody, find Maddox. And, and doesn't matter what you're doing, we're all looking for him. He's usually, you know, messing around somewhere on the other side of the hill and just kind of getting lost, getting into stuff. He's two today, uh, and just uh, everywhere. But when he's lost, it's like, it doesn't matter what we were doing, now we're finding him. And, and I, I want to share something with you that I believe that's kind of the heart of God um, uh, for people, uh, for things of true value. And, and uh, I wanted that, again, just to reiterate that into to the hearts of um, us as a church. So if you could, turn to Luke chapter 15. I'm only going to share from one, uh, one spot this morning. So once you find it there, it's, uh, it's in the New Testament, the third book. Uh, if you're going from the back, I don't know, it's, it's like 23 books back the other way. Um, but the... the, the the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus, he had been hanging out uh, uh, in, in uh, the, the places, traveling from town to town, and as he was going there, crowds would follow him. And it says that uh, uh, in, in, in uh, chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 15, it says this, that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. You know, it's kind of interesting that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus People who were nothing like him, they, they liked him. It says when he was hanging out there, it says um, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Um, not all the people who had everything together. That's who Jesus was hanging out with. And, you know, I would encourage that in our lives, that we realize that there's going to be people in our lives that don't have it all together. There's going to be people in our church that don't have it all together. Uh, and to, to realize that that's okay. Jesus, you know, one thing I would encourage and remind you of is that Jesus never became like them. It says he never forgot who he was. It was as they were around him that they were changed. But they were allowed to be around him before they had their lives cleaned up, before they had everything together. In verse 2, it says, Then, then the, uh, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, or church people, you know, good, clean, religious church people. It says it made them upset, and they complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Uh, you know, the, 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 the religious people of Jesus' day didn't like it that he was hanging out with those people. Do you have any of those people in your life? You know, you know those people? Like, you know, he's like, we don't hang out with those people. You know, if they're from Dunville, we don't talk to them, you know? <laughs> those, those people. Maybe, maybe those people are like the people with addictions, you know? Maybe it's those people are the ones who are, you know, they, they, they wear their, their life story on their sleeve, you know. They, maybe they're covered in tattoos and piercings and crazy hair. You're like, oh, those people. You know, maybe they're from the wrong side of Townsend. Those people. It, it doesn't matter. We all, maybe for you it's the opposite. Maybe looking like rich people, <laughs> snobs, those people. We don't talk to them. You know, Jesus was saying that there's this, this idea that in, in, in us, we want to label people as those people. And they were complaining that Jesus was hanging out with them, he's eating with them, he's doing life with those people. And um, Jesus said, you know, he kind of, he's talked to them about this a few times. It's like almost like at this point, he's like, you know what, I've had it with this. It, it's on, all right? You and us. So it says in verse 3 that he told them a story. 
Who's he talking to? Not to the um, tax collectors and notorious sinners sitting around them. He's talking to these Pharisees, to these, these uh, church people who are saying they have a problem with these. He says, I got, I got a few stories for you. He's like, this is one of the only times where Jesus actually tells three parables that, of the same thing at the same time to kind of make a point. And I want to share that with you this morning. He says um, that, that in this, this parable, or he tells them a story, a parable, it just simply means a comparison. It's like Grant did this morning in his prayer request. He said, you know, this guy knows how to fix a door with wood, then God should be able to fix a life, because that's what he created. It's that idea of a, an earthly story that has heavenly significance or a heavenly meaning. And he says, you want to know what heaven's like? Here's what it's like. He says, you guys want to know what God's all about? This is what it's all about. And he begins to tell them three stories. The first one's about a lost sheep. It says, um, if a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one, wouldn't he go out and search for it until he found it? Um, won't he leave the 99 others and go and search for that one? When he's found it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same day or in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You know, it says that Jesus was explained to these, these um, church people that, you know, with God, he's not about the crowd. He's about the one. When he says there's one out of a hundred that's wandered away, he says, I'm all about that one. And I remind you that this morning, God doesn't see this crowd of people here at Kingsway. He sees you. He sees Colin. He sees Barry. He sees Brian. He sees Eby. He sees the women too. He sees Lori. <laughs> he, sees, he sees Tracy. He sees my wife, Beth. He sees you. He, all through scripture, you see it. He talked to individuals. This morning when I say, God, that you would talk to me, that's what he wants to do. He wants to talk to you because you have that value. It's not a, about a hundred. You know, in our culture, everything seems replaceable. You know, you break something, you just go buy a new one. You, you, you know, the, the tent leaks. My tent leaked again this week. I'm just like, that's it. I've had it with this. I'm throwing that thing out. You know, and Beth's like, no, you just wait. You know, we'll, we'll let other people sleep in it and we'll sleep in the treehouse. And, you know, it was great. Um, and, and I put the tent back, but that idea was there. I'll just get rid of it, get a new one. But I want you to realize that not everything in life is replaceable. The people sitting around you, the people sitting beside you, those people in your life are not replaceable. They hold an incredible value. It says that when one's lost, it says he goes out and looks for that one until he finds it. There's this idea of, of searching for that person until, uh, until they find it. There's no like, I'm, I'm just going to give up. There is no giving up with him. I remember as a, before I was a youth pastor, I was like a, a home group leader for some, some kids in another church. And uh, I had one idea one night that we were going to go and uh, we we're going to go um, uh, tobogganing on a golf course in the middle of the night. So at 11 o'clock at night, we had to make sure like nobody was around. We decided we would uh, we'd get, to, uh, get all the kids together. They're like 14, 15. I took my parents' van and we drove out to this golf course in the middle of nowhere. And we started, I mean, those hills are so smooth because, you know, it's, a, it's the golf course. And it was, it was amazing. We took an old canoe that we found and we decided we we're going to go down in a canoe. That only worked once. Uh, after the jump, there was no more canoe. But um, as, we, uh, as we were going, all of a sudden, you know, a couple hours later, the moon was out. It was just pristine conditions. Uh, then we started getting cold and realized we should probably go home. It's like one o'clock. And if, if we don't go home soon, I'm going to be in trouble. I know my parents will start looking. So, so I decided, you know, let's go. So we all go to the van. And, and as we uh, get ready to unlock the door, I realize I don't have my keys. I can't find them anywhere. So I look inside and there's no keys in the van. I'm like, oh no, you know, I got all these kids. What are we going to do? And so then we said, we got to look for these keys. And it's that same idea. We weren't going to stop looking until we found them. Uh, and we looked and we looked and we looked. We went everywhere. We checked under the old canoe. Nowhere could we find these keys. And I was like, oh man, what do we do? Then I had a, a moment. I said, let's pray. 
Like, oh, good, you know, it's been an hour. Sure, we should have done this a while ago. But we pray, dear God, please show us those keys. We're going to freeze to death or our parents are going to kill us if we survive. We need those keys. And we said, amen. Sure enough, 30 seconds later, I look and I see halfway down the hill, this little glint of shiny stuff I never saw before. And I went down there. There's the keys. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. And, and, and we went home. But the, the, the same thought is that the, the thing of value that God's talking about is a person. He says he never stops looking. You know, maybe you look around you, and, and, and who does it represent? Well, he said that this person represents the one who wandered away. It, it's, it's, he compares it to the 99 that uh, didn't need repentance. Well, we know that there are not 99 people on this planet who didn't need repentance. We all did. So he's saying that there's those who have, been, who have repented, who have come to Christ and said, wandered away. He says he's not giving up on them. Maybe you look around, you see some empty seats of people that you say, hey, I remember some, so-and-so used to sit there, and they're not here anymore. They've wandered away. He's saying the, the heart of God is that we would go after them. The heart of God is that we would never give up, not until they're in the grave, that we would ever give up on the fact that they could be returned. You know, it's interesting. He says when he finds that sheep, he says he picks them up, carries them on his shoulders. It doesn't say he beats the sheep. It's like, you bad sheep, you know, what were you doing running off? He doesn't say that he breaks the sheep's legs so it can't run away again. It says he picks them up and he takes the sheep home. And what does he do? Whatever time it was, he goes and he calls all of his friends and neighbors. And they didn't have phones back then. He's going door to door. Hey, guess what? I found my sheep. Come on over. We're having a party. Hey, guess what? I, have, I found my sheep. Come on over. We're having a party. Like, that's weird. But it wasn't for them. They would do that. And he said, in heaven, it's like that, except that there's more joy over the fact that we found this one than over the ones who, you know, didn't need to be found. He said, there's the, the idea of what's in God's heart is that this, this lost person is of incredible value to them. Those people matter. Then he told the story of a woman who lost a coin, and she said that, that uh, as, as she had lost this coin, it, it had value to her. We're like, well, you lost a coin. Big whoop. You know, who's going to go light a, a, light, a, um, their, their, uh, put, light a lantern, sweep their whole house to find a nickel? You know, it doesn't make any sense. One of the stories, like one of the things that they talked about is back in that day, they wore a headdress, that there was 10 coins in that headdress. Each of those coins would have been worth about one day's wage. Um, some had said that those, those headdresses were actually um, for, for the girls who weren't married yet. And they had 10 of them symbolizing purity. That when one of those, you know, if they had a broken purity, they would take one of those coins out. Uh, and then people would know, this person, you know, they've, you could still marry them, but they, they have nine coins. You know, they, they're not completely pure. You think if you were that girl, you'd be looking for that coin? <laughs> there was some incredible value to that coin. But either way, there was value to it. And I, and I think sometimes what happens is we just see people, we look at them, and we forget that they hold incredible value. I read a, half a book this week called The Stovepipe. Um, I would recommend it to, uh, to, to any of you. It's from this, written by a girl from this area who, um, in the 40s, she grew up in foster homes in Simcoe and in Waterford and told a story of how her and her twin sister and her, uh, she had sisters that were twins, as they grew up in foster homes, how they were treated almost like slaves. You think you could meet her. If she's in this area, you could meet her and look at her and go, wow, you know, this girl's got a lot going on, you know. She, she seems really hard or bitter or whatever. But when you see the story, when you see the past, and you realize what she's gone through, you realize there's, an, there's a young little girl who's gone through incredible, incredible things maybe we've never seen before, but still has the same value. You know, I take a $100 bill and I step on it, throw in the garbage or whatever, you know, wipe it through a poopy diaper downstairs in the nursery, I could offer it to you and you, it would still be worth how much? hundred bucks. Because it doesn't matter what it's gone through, it's still, the value remains the same. 
I, I would encourage you to look at people and realize, oh, look at them. Look at all their, you know, look at what they've gone through. Look at, look at their lives. I can't believe they're in church. I can't believe, you know, whatever. Realize that they hold incredible value. Never, to never lose uh, the value. It says that when that coin is found, it says there's more joy in heaven over a sinner who turns back to God than over, you know, the, than, uh, than the, the ones that have been uh, remained. He says that there's, there's incredible joy there in the heart of God. And I pray that his heart would become ours. And then he finishes the story with, with a third thing. He says, he talks about a son. And for the, the length of it, I'm just going to paraphrase. Many of you have heard the story of the prodigal son before. It's a guy who basically says to his dad, Dad, I want the inheritance while you're still alive. Basically, Dad, I wish you were dead because then I get the money. And sure enough, I mean, if it was me and my son said that, I'd be like, you're going to your room for like three weeks to think about that, you know, and we'll see who's going to have the money, right? You're out of the will. Uh, but Dad didn't do that. Gave him the money and said, you go do whatever you want with it, son. So he says he went and he did whatever he wanted with it. It says he spent it on everything he could, could, uh, could get, you know, the best drugs, the best, the best women, the best alcohol, the best parties, you know, the best friends he could have. And, and when his money ran out, so did all of that. He sat alone in a pigsty, feeding pigs, feeling empty, just wishing that, that he could have something. And it says in that spot, he realized, you know what, I've done life like this, and I'm empty. I'm at the end of my rope. I got nothing. What, can I, what could I possibly do? And it says in that moment, he repents. What does that mean? He has a change of mind. He says, I'm tired of living my life this way. I'm going to go the other way. So I'll go back to dad. And it says, you know what? He says, I has this feeling of unworthiness. Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your kid anymore. I, I don't deserve that. He says, but maybe you could make me a servant. Maybe you could make me like one of your slaves. At least I'm going to have a chance to eat. You know, that's kind of the thought that sometimes we, um, we have when we uh, come to God. We think, oh, we're completely unworthy. We're just like, you know, God, we're, we're dirty sinners. We're, we're the worst of the worst. You know, you know, maybe we could be God's slaves. And a lot of times it's like, you know, how many of you would like to be slaves? Not me. And it creates this relationship with God that sort of feels like that. We're doing stuff out of obligation because, you know, that's just, that's just who we are. But it says something, about, um, says something about this father. It says when he saw his son, means he was looking for him. And when he came back, it says he ran to him. He saw him from afar off, and it says he ran all the way to his son. He hugged him. He, he says he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And this son still smells like the pig's. The, the, the heart of compassion just motivated the father to do what we would find mm, a little weird. Because if a drunk person walked in today, soiled themselves, you know, hadn't showered in three weeks, and just walked in the back door, would that be our first response? But see, the heart of compassion, Jesus, it says the compassion is what motivated him to action, motivated him to make a difference in the lives around him. My heart is that we would have that same heart of compassion that we'd be motivated to make a difference in the lives of those around us. You know what the, the actual uh, kind of point of the story is that God's telling, these, um, Jesus is telling these people, he says, you want to know what God's like? This is what he's like. He's like the dad who loves those kids so much he can't believe that they're finally back. That he loves those people so much that he's just going to go and it says he gives them a new robe, which means he gives them a new identity. It says he gives them a ring, says, listen, you're not a slave, you're a son. You've got authority in this family. He says he throws the best party for them, the best that they could ever have. Why? Because he says, you guys are worth it. The value of you is, is so incredible. I was listening to a story um, from a guy named Tony Campolo. Uh, he, some of you may know him. He's a, he's a pretty popular speaker. 
a sociologist, but also a preacher. And um, uh, Tony had said that, that, you know, he was telling a story about how he'd gone to Hawaii to speak. And I'm like, that's pretty sweet. So he's uh, in Hawaii, and at 3 a.m., he wakes up and jet-lagged, but he, it's, it's 3 a.m. their time, but he's awake, and he's like, oh, I can't sleep. And then he's like, he realizes he's hungry. So he gets up at, you know, 3 a.m., he starts going out to um, downtown Honolulu to try and find somewhere to eat, and he says, there's nothing open. He said, I can't believe it. So he said, I walked down this little side alley, and I found this little greasy spoon restaurant. I went in there. I was like, he sees this guy, big guy, you know, chubby guy with a greasy apron named Harry. And he's like, uh, he's, he says, are you guys open? He's like, yeah, we're open. What do you want? And he, he says, uh, well, can I, have a, you know, can I have a coffee? And he, and he looks at the menu, and he doesn't dare open it because it's just full of all, you know, other people's finger jam, you know, like they, they're sweating, whatever. He's like, I just, I don't even want to open. Something might crawl out. So he, he says, oh, I'll have a, a donut. And then so the, the Harry goes and pours him a coffee and then he goes up to the shelf and he grabs his hand, he puts, rubs it off on his greasy apron, he picks up the donut and he sticks it on the plate in front of Tony. And Tony's like, it's just it, I'm going home, you know, I'm not that hungry. But before he can leave, all of a sudden the door's open and a, a whole bunch of girls walk in. It's like 3 a.m. He looks at them and he thinks, oh man, these look like working girls. They look like prostitutes. And he's, he sits down, he's like, he's the only other guy in the place. Sure enough, there's no, there's no booths. There's just a bar and a bunch of stools. Well, they all sit down on both sides of him. He's like, oh, I guess I'm going to eat the donut now. So he begins to eat the donut. And as he's sitting there, he hears the girl right beside him say to one of the others, hey, you know what, girls, guess what? Tomorrow's my birthday. And one of the girls looks over at her and says, you know, so what? What do you want us to do? Buy you a cake? Throw you a party? And he said, I heard in her voice as she responded, it's just the crack in her voice that said, no, I've never had a birthday party. I wasn't expecting one. I just wanted to let you know it was my birthday. Well, it hit Tony right in, right in his heart. As he sat there, he waited until they all left. He had this idea. He said to Harry, he says, Harry, do you know these girls? And he's like, yeah, they come in every single night about this time. And he said, could, could we like throw them a birthday party tomorrow? Could we throw this girl, like who is this one beside me? He said, oh, her name's Agnes. He says, well, I, I want to throw her a birthday party. Can we do that? And uh, he said, that's a great idea. He yells to his wife in the kitchen, Jane, Jane, get out here. Come out here. This guy wants to throw Agnes a birthday party. And Jane says, you would look at her and think something, but she is the most kind, most caring person I know in this city. And Tony says, let's do it. He says, can I decorate? And they're like, you sure can. He says, all right. So the next morning, he goes out there. He says he goes out there about 1 a.m. He begins to put up posters, and he says, We're gonna, he says I'm going to buy her a cake. And, and Harry's like, no, a cake's mine. I'll make the cake. And he's like, oh, I don't know what that cake's going to look like, but all right, all right, I'll let you do the cake. And so they're doing the cake. Well, Jane, his wife, had gone out and uh, found all, you know, other prostitutes that night and said to them, hey, you know what? We're having a birthday party for Agnes. It's a surprise. Don't tell her, but you guys are invited. Well, sure enough, free food and this chance to go to a birthday party in the middle of the night. Well, this whole place packed full of prostitutes. And so there's Tony and about 100 working girls. And he's like, this is a little crazy. But he said, make sure, you know, he got them all ready. We're going to yell surprise when she comes in that door. And sure enough, almost on cue, Agnes arrives at 3 uh, a.m. As she walks to the door, they yell surprise. And her eyes just like wide open, just stunned. Doesn't, can't believe what's happening. She's never experienced this in her life. And she just stands and watches that this is for her. It's his happy birthday, Agnes. Well, Harry walks out with the cake singing happy birthday to you. And, and, and she just starts weeping, tears running down her face. Like, he gets a little uncomfortable. He's like, Agnes, come on, pull it together. It's your birthday. Blow out the candles. And she couldn't blow out the candles. She just was just in tears. So Harry blew him out for her and says, come on, Agnes, like, get it together. Here, here's a knife. Cut the cake. Let's eat cake. It's your birthday. And she, she said, it just through her tears, she said, can I can I just take this cake and show it to my mom? And Tony says, well, it's your cake. You can do whatever you want, but, you know, we're here to have a party. Where are you going to go? She's like, I just live two doors down. Let me just go take this cake. 
She took the cake and she left. She went to show it to her mom. So there's Tony with 100 prostitutes and nothing to do. And he's standing there and he looks around and it's a real awkward moment, real awkward silence. And, and as he looks, he's, all of a sudden he has this idea. He's like, uh, you, got, you girls want to pray? And uh, they didn't answer, so he just decided he'd start. So he began to pray. He began to pray for Agnes. He began to pray that God would restore the, the, the joy that had been lost, that he would restore the, just a, a, and clean her from all the dirty things the dirty men had done to her. He prayed that she would, uh, the things that had been lost and stolen would, would come back, that, that, that she would be clean and washed. And, and as she's praying this over, this, uh, over this girl, he says amen. And as he says amen and opens his eyes, there's Harry right in front of him. He's like, you never told me, Tony, that you're a preacher. And he says, uh, yeah, I, I'm a preacher. And he says, what kind of church do you belong to? And he says, it was just like God gave him the words at that moment. He's like, it was just brilliant. He said, you know, that... that um, he says, I, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. He thought, that is amazing. But Harry's response took him totally off, off guard. As Harry said to him, no way, man. Those churches don't exist. If they did, I would be a part of it. I thought about that. I thought about that. Wouldn't we all want to be a part of a church like that? That really shows the love and grace of our Father to people who need it. To be a church that realizes that we are called to bring love and joy and peace and hope to a world around us that doesn't have it, to people who are broken, to really genuinely love people, to continue to keep that as the culture of our church. The last end of the story of Luke chapter 15, the, the dad, he's talking to um, the servants and says, hey, you know, we're having this party. And they're like, why? He doesn't only say that it's because my lost son was found. He says something really profound. He says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. See, God didn't, come to give his life just so that, you know, we could have a church and we could have services. He came to build the church who would be you, who would live out that life of saying, you know what? I realize that what John 3.16 says is true, that God so loved this world. God so loved those people. God so loved me that he gave his son, that whoever any person, whoever believes on him, looks to him, would be saved and would have everlasting life. To be a church that realizes that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. You know, that we would be the ones who realize as we look at people with the, with the eyes of Christ and we see that tied up in the mess that we see on the outside is a soul of incredible value on the inside. That we would look at those teens, you know, with the crazy hair and the piercings and the tattoos and, you know, the ones who are like, oh, man, they just sort of sit in the back and don't do anything, you know, oh, except talk and text. That we'd look at them and realize that behind that, there's a lost little girl, a lost little boy who's desperately hoping for an answer and purpose in their life. That we'd see those, those young ladies, whatever, you know, with the, with the makeup on, with the, the short skirts and the tight blouses and, and the flirty glances and realize that they're just simply young girls looking for real love. Maybe they're not that young anymore. Maybe see the guys that come in, they're just all macho and tough and, you know, they wouldn't talk about God and they're sure not going to pray. That in them is just a lost guy looking for real strength. See what that really matters. My challenge to us, Kingsway, is that we remember our roots. <laughs> We've never been a normal church. I hope that we stay that way as we continue to grow. This will be the place where people can come just as they are. That in that place, they would be able to belong to this family so that they have a chance to believe in our Savior. That's on us. 
that's us, that's the opportunity that we would have. My prayer is that God would stir up compassion in us again. That when we see people, we wouldn't just see them. We'd see our neighbors and we wouldn't just look past them or think, oh, whatever. But that we'd reach out to them. My question, I guess my challenge is to you this week as you go out and as you feel like prompted, I believe it's going to happen as soon as you leave this place. That maybe you're inviting people to this party tomorrow. You're seeing people that you think, hey, you know what? They wouldn't want to go. Uh, let me leave you with this. This week we, uh, we were at the park in our town and we had gone out um, with a whole bunch of these flyers to invite all of Reese's friends from our town to the party on Monday. Well, it just turns out that none of those friends were there. But there was a guy there, you know, hat, you know, the solar punches in his ears, the big holes, tattoos down one arm with his little son. And uh, we were out there and we were talking to him. We started asking each other what we we're up to. He's a steel worker. You know, he's from, he's from downtown Hamilton, just kind of moved up this way. As we're talking to him, um, he, uh, you know, I'm thinking, all of a sudden I'm thinking, yeah, invite him to the party. I'm like, he's not going to want to go on a pony ride, you know? Like, it's, it's like, this is whatever, right? But, but we, kept, we carried on, we kept talking. And, and then his darn little kid goes and takes the toy that my kid was playing with. And, and now my kids are grumpy, and I'm just like, oh, you know what? It's like, all right, bust out of here. He's like, ask him, just invite him. And it's like, you know, hey, we're doing a party on, uh, on Monday. We, we just get together and have stuff for the kids. And we're, you know, we're having pony rides. And he's like, pony rides? I'm like, no, like, we're just doing, a, you know, we're doing inflatables. And it's, you know, your son would probably love it. He said, if you're not working, you'd be interested in coming. He's like, yeah. He said, where is it? I was like, well, I just happen to have a flyer, right? And I pulled it out of my pocket. I was like, I couldn't believe it. He's like, yeah, that he'd actually be interested. But, you know, I believe he, you know, the, the genuine interest there. But what is it? We just begin to see people. You know, there's a movie a while back called The Sixth Sense where the little boy just says, I see dead people. Uh, my, my challenge to you that as we go through life and we see people, that we realize that there's dead people all around us who need and can be made alive by Jesus Christ, and he can do it in and through you. Can I pray with you? Father, I just pray right now that you download your heart of compassion into open and willing hearts here this morning. Pray that that compassion would move us move us to action. I pray for Holy Spirit courage to allow us when we feel that prompting to go and speak or that prompting to pray or that prompting to reach out to those around us, that we'd have the courage to continue to do that. Father, I pray that we'd be motivated by love and only love, that we would know you and love you and out of that, love others. God, thank you for this amazing family at Kingsway. Thank you that they do this so well. May we continue to, uh, to be, your, be your hands extended to the, to the world around us. May people come in here and feel that just immediately. I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven before we ever know their name. Father, I pray that today would be more than just a time together, but it'd be life-changing for us, starting with me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do this work in us. It's, uh, and we commit that to you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.